Timothy and Titus, pastoral epistles. When we use the word epistle, we literally are talking about writings or letters. When we call them pastoral epistles, uh, we're specifically referring to sacred writings that God has anointed and appointed through the hand of Paul that would go to Timothy and go to Titus as they're shepherding in these uh, different areas of Ephesus and Crete. Now, listen, listen to me. When you study scripture, the only thing that we have when it comes to qualifications and responsibilities and how pastors, elders, leaders, deacons, bishops, presbyteros, whatever words we want to use, the only thing we have to kind of gauge uh, how, how are we supposed to do this? What is the responsibility and qualifications? It's found in First and Second Timothy and Titus. Now, I believe as I start this conversation with you today that not only should we pay close attention to Titus and Timothy in regards to standards for those who minister, but I believe that the standards that are laid out should be the standard that each and every one of us that claim the name of Christ desire to live by. So every guy and gal in this room, every man and woman in this room, every young teenager in this room, when you ponder 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, it should be the standard that you want to live your life by. I've pondered this book, these books for years. Now, some eight years ago, my buddy Steve Trailer, that I've known for a while had contacted me and said, you know, we're looking for a new lead pastor at our church, which was the Oasis at the time. And so I sat down with Steve and I sat down with the former staff and uh, we started praying through this. My wife and I, Barb, began to pray. We felt like God was leading us out of sports ministry that we had done for 20 plus years, uh, chaplain of the Braves and working with the Falcons and many of these other uh, athletic entities, if you will, from a chaplain's standpoint, we felt like God was leading us to pastor locally. But as we started uh, praying through this, uh, I felt like God called us to, to fast and pray for a week. So we did. Uh, just a, a liquid fast and just really seeking God and getting away and spending time with the Lord. Started doing just some observation. And some of you guys, Jim Schroll, who has been an elder here for years. Uh, others were a part of the church climate culture, if you will, at that time. But we began to pray, Lord, if you're leading us uh, to pastor in that area, to pastor what was the oasis that we now call the cross, Lord, Lord show us what we need to be aware of. The church had gone through a lot of betrayal. There was a lot of immoral things that had happened in the past. And as we were praying, God gave me two Verses, then they were both one fives. First Timothy one five, Titus one five. And as I was praying through this from a pastoral shepherding standpoint, as Paul writes to Timothy, he says this: "You're over in Ephesus. There's all types of polytheistic worship going on. Uh, you've got the Temple of Diana, the Temple of Artemis. You've got this god named Bacchus that's being worshipped. So you've got a lot of sexual immorality. You've got a lot of alcoholism. Timothy, uh, the goal of your instruction is to love. First Timothy 1.5. Timothy, I want you to realize that the fundamental thing that Abba Papa is calling you to do 
is to love. Agape, agapeo. God is calling you to sacrificially, unconditionally love those people there. He wants you to agape them. But he wants you to love them with a pure heart. He wants you to love them with a good conscience. And he wants you to love them with sincere faith. So as we began to pray through this, Dean, it was like the Lord was saying, now listen, listen, as I lead y'all to Loganville to pastor, you've got to love. There's a lot of betrayal. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. And you're going to have to go in there and love people. And you're going to have to earn the right to really be heard by these people. And you, you, you'll be their teacher for a while. You're not going to become their pastor for, for a little while. You, you'll have the title pastor, but you're going to have to earn the right to be their pastor because of betrayal. So, so I, I want you to love 1-5. Titus 1-5, I, Titus, I left you in Crete so that you could ortho, so that you could set in order, straighten out some things that remains. Ortho, orthodontist, orthoscopic surgery. I had elbow and it was locked and I had to get orthoed where it would straighten out. Still don't straighten out all the way, but it straightens out better than it used to, but I left you there to ortho. So when we started praying through this, it was like, uh, what, what should we focus on initially? Well, if you're going to pastor and shepherd, you probably should look at pastoring and shepherding teachings, and we went to Timothy and Titus, and so I want you to agape, and I want you to ortho, and I want you to agape, and I want you to ortho. Now, let me, let me say this before we dive deeper into the teaching today. If you look at many of the churches locally, nationally, and even globally today, I can promise you, just with some honest observation, you will see that there has been great, gross disregard of Timothy and Titus in regards to how a local church is to function. My buddy Mike Esposito, we've traveled the world doing ministry. And you look at a lot of different ministries, parachurch as well as church, and you go, how did they reject or ignore the teachings of Timothy and Titus? God was clean and clear when it came to those who would lead. 1 Timothy 3.15, he writes to Timothy and he says this, I'm writing this to you so that... Okay, I might want to circle that. I'm writing so that. John 21, all of this has been written so that. 1 John 5, this is written so that. Anytime you see the phrase so that, it's like Paul's. Timothy, I'm writing this to you so that you will know how one is to conduct themselves in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the support of truth. Hey, Timothy, I'm writing to you so that you will know how those who call themselves followers who make up the church, word church in the Greek, ekklesia, meaning those who belong to the Lord, I'm writing so that you will know how those who call themselves church folk ought to conduct themselves. Because the church is, the household of God is, the church is, it's the church of the living God. The, the church, Jeff, is the pillar 
and the support of truth in a community. You, you see, the church is where people should be able to lean into for truth in a community. Yeah. So we're right there around this election time and all this stuff again. And I, I, I don't look at the White House to bring me theology. We ought to be able to look at the church house to get theology. So, so I'm writing to you because I want you to know how those who call themselves church folk ought to behave themselves. Now this should cause all of us to, to pause. Because I want you to know, Timothy, that the church is the pillar and the support of truth. It's the pillar you see, in Ephesus, where Timothy was pastoring, was the temple of Diana Artemis, and there was 127 pillars that supported the structure of the temple of Diana, so the people were used to all these pillars, these, these posts, and Paul writes to Timothy and says, uh, the church is not A of 127, it is the pillar. Like, all right. It, you, you read the scripture and you're like, why, why, why so emphatic? Because the church is to be the pillar of truth in our community. That, that, that's right. We've got to take this to heart. Now, I, I'm sending you to Loganville, to Agape and Ortho. Okay. Now, now Timothy... I want to encourage you. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18, 19. Timothy, I want to encourage you to fight the good fight of faith every day. T Timothy, I want you to fight the good fight every day. The word fight is the word agon. It's where we get the English word agonized from. T Timothy, I want you to know that the assignment that you've got... You've got to agonize and learn to struggle well. Timothy, there's a battle. And if you're going to represent God and be his pastor, teacher, leader, elder, you, you've got to learn to agonize well. You're, you're going to be attacked. You're going to be persecuted. You're, you're going to be, you're going to be under scrutiny all the time, but, but, you're going to have to learn to agonize well. You've got to learn to struggle well. Now, he's talking to Timothy, who's going to pastor, but again, I believe this is for all of us. Oh, you want to be a follower of Christ. Oh, you want to be used by God. Then you're going to have to learn to fight the good fight. You're going to have to learn to agonize well. Because the world is not going to applaud you, and the world is going to hate you, and now, now, Timothy, I want you to fight the good fight, and I want you to keep the faith. I want you to keep the faith. Your dad was a Greek. We know that, and he's a non-believer. And Lois and Eunice, your mom and grandma, godly people, and I want you to keep the faith. I want you to remember your why when you're doing ministry. When opposition comes and people are attacking you, I want you to remember your why. Who you belong to. Who's put the call on your life. Remember your why. You're going to get tired at times. 
You're going to be exhausted. People are just not going to show up at times. But remember your why. Fight the good fight and keep the faith and keep a good conscience. That's what he says in verse 19. Keep your mind clean. Whatever is pure, right, and holy, keep your mind clean. Think about right things. Timothy, you got to keep your mind right. There, there's going to be all this secular psycho babble going on, but keep, keep what, what, watch what you watch and watch what you listen to and watch who you listen to and pay, pay attention to it. And then he says in chapter two, and I want you to pray. Man, I want you to pray, Timothy. I want you to lift holy hands and I want, I want you to fight this fight and I want you to keep the faith and I want you to, I want you to keep your mind clean and, and, and I want you to keep praying. Across Loganville, I want you to fight the good fight, and I want you to keep the faith, and I want you to keep your mind clean, but I want you to pray. I want you to pray for us, and I want you to pray for our team, and I want you to pray for the lost people around you. I want you to pray and press into God for your kids, and I, as leaders, we, we've, got to, I, we've got to be people of prayer. That's why we spend every week that much time on the end of our service because we believe. We got to pray. We got to commune. As often as you meet, do it in remembrance of me. We, you you got to make it available. Pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray. Yes. Now, now Timothy, picking up in chapter 4, now, now, now listen to me. Fight the good fight. Keep the faith. Keep your mind clean and pray. But listen to me. Discipline yourself for the purpose of being godly. Discipline, exercise everything inside of you for being godly. The word discipline or exercise is the word gymnaza in the Greek. It's where we get the English word gymnasium. So Paul, he's saying, hey, 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 Timothy, exercise everything in you to be godly. Now, bodily exercise is of little profit, meaning you want to run some half marathons, go for it. You run a Want to run a few 10Ks? Go for it. You, you want to do CrossFit? Go for it. You want to run a gym? Go for it. T take care of your body. Your body is the temple. But, but, but when it comes to what matters, bodily exercise is of poquito value, little value, meaning it ain't going to last forever. Godliness lasts for this life and the life to come. Yes. You can't take your six-pack abs, will you? That's why I prefer a keg. No, uh, uh, I didn't say that. But you can't take it with you. And he's looking, going, listen to me. Discipline yourself to be godly. Come on. The Isthmus games that would take place in Corinth, all these athletic uh, competitions, I mean, he even tells Timothy, hey, hey, don't aim aimlessly. And he uses fighting and boxing analogy, all this stuff. Hey, hey, work out. But make sure your greater workout and your greater focus is on being godly. And then he says, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness. Hey, hey Timothy, don't allow anyone ever to be able to leverage your age on why they're not listening to you. 
but rather in faith and speech and love and conduct and purity. Timothy, show yourself as an example to all those who believe. Coming to faith in October of 1985, 22 years old, in the culture of baseball, surrendered. And, And my buddy Walter, who mentored me, he looked at me before I went back to my first spring training. 1986, and he said, Timmy, don't let anyone look down on you because of your age. Yet you're going to have an opportunity to run it every night. There's chicks all over the place and the opportunity to drink and go party. Don't let them look down on you because you're young. Don't use your age as a licentiousness to act like a fool. But in your faith, and in your speech, and in your conduct, and in your purity, show yourself as an example to others. When my son, my oldest son Benji, when he had that breakthrough after his freshman year in college, going all in, Dad. Go all in, son. But, but Benji, look at me. You're 19 years old. They've asked you to help lead FCA at Middle Tennessee. And then he signs and he goes out to play with the Royals and he's around all these guys and he's like, I'm going to lead Bible studies and I'm going to mentor these guys. Look at me. Don't let anyone despise you because of your youthfulness, because you've twisted it up, because of your lack of purity and your lack of right conduct. Show yourself as an example, son. Jesse just turned 19. I mean, it's the same conversation. It's the same conversation with Caleb, who's 14. My boys, I look at them. I look at my girls. Jesse, you're 19, son. Don't let anyone look down on you because of your youthfulness, but rather in faith and speech and conduct and purity you show yourself as an example that's right go live out the faith Paul is writing saying you can do it Maddie you can do it Ashley you can do it Oregon you can do it Caleb you can do it you can do it you don't have to cave in you can do it Ella do it Austin Elijah you can do it if you press into Jesus This should be the standard that we all aspire to live by. When, look at your own narrative. When you willfully turned your back on the things of God in those formative years, in those teenage years, when you went reckless, we we, we don't get any mulligans. We can't say, oh, that sucked. I really messed that 15 to 20 year gap up. I'd like to go back. God, can I get a mulligan and play those five years again? They're gone. Man, I wish you could. I'm like, I wish Grace would say, you know what? I'm just going to erase those five. I'm going to give you a mulligan. Let's go play them again. Don't work that way. Because the seeds of stupidity that we saw on yesterday show up tomorrow. I just wish they didn't. Timothy, listen to me. Give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Man, know the word. What was he reading? 
He didn't have the canonized New Testament. He didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, or any of this stuff. Timothy, I want you to give public reading to Scripture. He was reading the Psalms and all this stuff that's buried in the richness of the Old Testament. Read the Scripture, brother. We're going to read the Word of God. Thus saith the Lord. That's right. Exhort. Teach. Which means in our language, motivate them, stimulate them, agitate them. Exhort it and teach it, brother. Keep showing up every day. Don't let them look down on you. And then he says, uh, pay close attention to yourself and to your own teaching and to your own doctrine. Pay, pay close attention to what you believe and why you believe it. And, and persevere. And when you persevere, you'll be able to save yourself and you'll be able to save others. So you, you, you really do have to stop and ask Am I fighting the good fight? Am I keeping the faith? Am I maintaining a clear conscience? Is my prayer life spot on? Am I violating anything mentioned in this 1 Timothy 4? Because this should be the standard that we all live by. Discipline yourself to reflect Jesus every day, yes. Talk like and walk like a child of the king. Yes. That's what I want to do. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. Persevere. Stay in the game. Come on, you can do it. Then he writes to Timothy and Titus. He, he writes to Timothy and Titus. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And he says, uh, now... Stay clean, stay pure. I'm praying for you. Now, those who will lead and those who would serve, pay attention. There's a standard. First Timothy 3, Titus 1. Any man that aspires to the office as an overseer, elder, teacher, preacher, that's a very noble thing, a very good thing he wants to do. It is a very trustworthy saying that if anyone aspires to lead, to teach, to preach, that's a, that's a lofty thing, Josh, that he wants to do. That's a lofty thing that he wants to do, Connor. That's, that's a lofty thing, Brandon, that he wants to do. If, if anyone would ever want to be a, an episcopos, a, a teacher, preacher, pastor, shepherd, that, that's noble, he must be then. And he lists four he must statements. So there's a couple of questions that you have to engage with the text in here. If any man aspires to the office as an overseer, you've got to pose the question man in the language of that day. Is it gender neutral or is it gender specific? If it's gender neutral, then Ordaining women to be pastors are cool, but if it's gender specific, I've got to pay attention to it. And the text reads, not from a male chauvinist standpoint, if you go back and study, it is the first time in history that women were given dignity and fellowship. Paul even writes in 1 Timothy 2, women... Here's how you should adorn yourself. 
If you look back under the Judaistic system, women were not given dignity, but in Christ, there's neither male nor female. So he's writing going, women, you, 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 you matter. You're such a key part of the body. So, so some would see 1 Timothy 3 and go, well, why, why does he degrade women? He doesn't. He honors women. Going, women, look. It's a role you play. But if any man, gender specific, aspires to the office of an overseer, it's a noble thing, and he must be four things. He must be above reproach. Above reproach means if you throw mud at him, it doesn't stick. If you throw criticism and all this uh, condescending kind of noise, if you throw it at him, it, it doesn't stick. He's above reproach. He's clean. He's the husband of but one wife. With polygamy and all the immorality of that day, Paul even emphasized, you've got to be the husband of but one wife. Some of the teaching I got early on was, well, a man who has been married and divorced can never serve. I'm like, really? Well, the language in the text says a one-woman man. My buddy Steve Trailer, I love Steve. But when Steve shared his story, first wife left him. Steve is repenting and crying out to Jesus and pressing into Christ. And God sends him Patty. And they get married. Steve is a one-woman man. He's a one-woman man. And some of the older generation would say, what? He's been divorced. It doesn't say divorce. It says a one-woman man. He must be above reproach. And before you're going to serve, you need to be in that marriage probably seven to ten years to show that you're above reproach. He must not be addicted to wine. There's some in the culture would say then pastors can't drink. Paul even wrote Timothy later, sip a little wine, bro. It's good for your stomach. <laughs> Don't get drunk. If you've got a problem with alcohol, stay away from it. But he's like, uh, be above reproach. This crazy love of money and being a brawler and a fighter, that's you got to be above reproach. Then he says he must be one who manages his own household well. How, how can you put a dude in leadership, pastoring, to lead God's people when he can't even manage his own house? And I'm telling you right now, it's like, uh, and Jim, you know it. And I've said this to you before, and I'll say it again. When we interviewed here, they're like, do you have a resume? Like, Yes, I do. My resume is my life, my wife, and my kids. It's not that I went to DeKalb College for two years and went to Troy and went to Grace and took correspondence. And your resume is your life, and it's your wife, and it's your kids. He, he must be able to manage his own household. He must not be a new convert, meaning he couldn't have just come to the faith recently. I mean, you might like his personality, and he may have some cool charisma, but he can't be a new convert because he might become prideful if you put him in that position. Stop. 
And then he says he must have a good reputation with those outside the church. How does he get along with non-church folk? So he writes and he says, uh, there's got to be a standard. Don't minimize the standard. Don't weaken the standard. Pay attention to yourself and to those that you appoint in leadership. You see why I say in modern churches, many today, they ignore the teachings of Timothy and Titus. But you really do have to ask the question, no matter if you're 18 or whether you're 82 or anything in between, am I qualified to lead? I I mean, based on the standard, am I qualified to lead? So Dustin, we've got to take this to heart. And then he says, uh, stay strong in the word. All scripture is inspired by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God can be adequate and equipped for every good work. Stay strong in the word. And I've studied it, and I've studied it, and Jesse, here's what he says, teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. The word will teach you what's right. It will teach you what's not right. It'll teach you how to get right. And it'll teach you how to stay right. People oftentimes come and say, uh, brother, I'm just praying for the will of God. It ain't lost. It'll teach you what's right. It'll teach you what's not right. It'll teach you how to get right. And it will teach you how to stay right. There's got to be a standard. Timothy, don't let them look down. Pay close attention now to your teaching, to your doctrine. Stay strong in the word. Don't empower and put people in leadership that are are, are not qualified. So you've got to ask the question, am I qualified? And then you've got to ask the question, am I strong in the word? Do I know God's word? Do I know his rhema sayings? Do I know truth? And then then he's looking at him saying, Timothy, now, this can't be a one-man show. It's not about you. And even what Dustin referenced when he was talking about this next chapter and where we're going, it's, it's, it's right here in Timothy. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2.2, and he says, now, Timothy, the things that you've heard from me, In the presence of many other witnesses, I want you to entrust these teachings and sayings and these truths to faithful men who will go out and share them with other faithful men. I I want you to teach others who will go teach others. There's four generations right here. Paul, writing, says, I I, I want you to remember the things you've heard from me, you and these other witnesses, two generations. I want you to go out and teach others who will then go out and teach others. What are you saying? If I get saved and start following Jesus, then I should be teaching others who are teaching others who are teaching others who are teaching others. 
Again, my friend Steve that came into town a few weeks ago from Cincinnati, he oversees a lot with Baseball Chapel, and he was telling me about a couple of the guys that he's mentored who are now pastoring and who are serving as chaplains. And he was telling me about a couple of these guys that he had discipled and poured into that was now pouring into other people who was starting to pour into other teammates. And I said, Steve, that is so cool. He goes, you know what's cool about it? I said, what? He said, it just doesn't make you a grandpa. It makes you a spiritual great-grandpa. And I got choked up. He said, you poured into me. And I've poured into the next generation and the next generation's pouring in to the next generation. Like, wow. Wow. That's better than any multi-level plan business you'll ever be a part of. The things you've heard. So you've got to ask the question, who am I discipling? Who am I teaching? Who am I mentoring? Because you're supposed to be a flowing stream, not a stagnant pond. The things that you've heard from me, now go teach others. That's the reason, again, like when Benji's telling me what he's doing in Arizona biologically, I'm like, now, you're supposed to be raising up the next generation. So the people that you are teaching are now supposed to be going out and teaching others. Dustin and I have talked so much about what does success look like. It's not you teaching somebody and them just sitting and soaking. I'm, I'm about doing kingdom work. So who are you investing in? This should be the standard that we all live by. Who are you teaching? Seriously. Could I send my kid to you? The person beside you, the person in front of you, the person behind you. Could you send your kid there? I promise you before God, there is absolutely zero guilt in this. It's all just serious contemplation that we're to be making disciples who am I pouring into I promise I promise you this if your faith and speech and conduct and love if you're fighting the good fight if you're keeping the faith and praying you put yourself in a position where you can impact the next generation remember 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 Timothy, I want you to fight the good fight. I want you to keep the faith. I want you to keep a good conscience. I want you to pray. Years later, years later, last thing he will write, farewell, body shutting down. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 4, hey, 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 Timothy, I fought the good fight. I kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me this crown that this right, righteous king is going to present to me. Not, not only to me, 
but, but all who cherish him. When we talk about living with eternity as the backdrop, seriously, we're living with eternity as the backdrop. And the older you get, the more it seems like you go to some of these things. And so whether it's this week or whether it's this month or whether it's this year or 35 years later, seriously. Thank you for coming out today and celebrating the life of Timothy Earl Cash. He was born December 11th, 1962. Seriously. No, this is going to happen. And so, if Barb is still living in Rachel and Benji and Jesse and Hannah and Caleb, maybe Nick, Rick, Dustin, whoever. So glad you're here. And hopefully, Dustin will stand and say, he finished strong. He, he fought the good fight. He agonized and struggled well. He, he kept the faith. When there was a lot of compromise, even in church ministry, and he kept the faith. I, I walked with him for a long time. He, he, he stayed in covenant with Barb. He loved her as Christ loved the church. He was a one-woman man. He loved his kids. That therefore, there's laid up for him this crown that the king has already given him. It's got to happen. It's not if. It's going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Paul's writing, I, I'm, I'm about to die. I'm, ab I'm about to die. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Well done. You live with eternity as the backdrop. You didn't stockpile your identity with the earthly. You continue to share my love with the least of these, yes. Well, well, well done. What will you hear? Who's going to speak? Hey, your eulogy. Who's carrying your box? I'm too cheap. I'm being cremated. It won't take a whole lot. Put me in an urn. 995 versus 30,000 30, ain't worth it. Burning <laughs> If you can fit his head in that thing, burn him. <laughs> that big-headed dude. Uh, who are you sharing with? And, and he writes in both, in both of these pastoral epistles, Paul writes to Timothy and Titus, and he says, now, remember, God offers salvation to the world. First Timothy chapter 2. This is so good, Drew. 
this is good. And this pleases God. What's good? What pleases God? What pleases our Savior? He, he wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. This is good and pleases God. Reaching lost people. Lost people getting saved is good. And it pleases God. Yes. There's one God and there's one mediator and there's only one person between God and man. It's the man, the Savior, Christ Jesus. He's the mediator. So what's good and pleases God is when you introduce other people to Jesus. That's good. Man, that pleases God. Don't forget it. Don't, don't, don't forget it, Timothy. T Titus, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. The grace of God has appeared and God has extended salvation to all men. He wants everyone saved. Listen, when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not because we were good, not because we brought anything to the dance, not because of our deeds, no. He saved us. Because of his mercy, his mercy got poured out on the cross. The compassion and kindness of God was dumped out on Calvary's hill in Golgotha. Not because you could do anything to earn it. Not because you could work your way toward him. God wants everybody saved. God wants all men to come know him. Yes. He wants everyone to come knowing.